right, everybody, welcome back inside the Mid-American Van Wagon. Uh, as always, I am your co-host, Zach Folador, steering this ship alongside my partner in crime, Sam Thillman. Uh, episode 32 coming to you guys live. Sam, I know it's cold here in Pittsburgh. It's cold out in Indiana. How you doing, man? Uh, suffering through it, to say yeah. the least. Um, the, the weather, as you mentioned, hasn't been nice, but luckily i've still been able to watch some hoops that that still has been going along and it's it's been fun to watch so far yeah no i i agree with that i i always kind of say like i'm cool with winter until like the holidays pass and then once we get into january and february i'm over it and hoops are about the only thing that gets me through this time of the year and um man i tell you what we got a lot going on here a lot of canceled games this week in the MAC. A lot of postponed games, and uh, and and we'll talk about that here in a minute. But you know, we're only uh, what we're about three weeks away, three and a half weeks away from the start of the I four. I guess four. We're about a month away from the start of the uh, the men's and women's uh, MAC basketball tournaments being hosted in Cleveland as usual. And uh, Sam, there was some news that came out the other day um, about tickets for these events that I think surprised both of us a little bit. Uh, yeah, so uh, this past weekend, as we all know, was the Super Bowl, and now next month is going to be the start of what the college basketball's biggest game when the NCAA turn or NCAA championship happens. But before that, we've got some conference tournament action, and the MAC recently announced that tickets will be on sale February 12th. So if you are listening to this on Friday, February 12th, the tickets will be on sale, so you can buy them. It does not say in the article on the Get Some Action how many they will be selling. It just says a limited number of tickets for Friday and Saturdays, both men and women's uh, tournaments on um, on March 11th and March 12th. So, Zach, I, I'm sure that's some good news for a lot of fans who want to go to the game because last year we could not go to the game. Yeah, for sure. I think from a fan's perspective, it's it definitely is uh, good news. I think – I, I was just, I'm, when I say I'm surprised by this decision, that's not me saying that I think it's a bad decision. I think the NFL and, and some of these other um, professional sports leagues have proven that you can bring people into the stadiums and you can do it safely. I was just a little bit surprised by this because of the max hard stance against fans in the stands for the most part for football games, for basketball games as well. Now, I, I know that they've given some schools, or I, I know they've given their schools a little bit of leeway there to operate as they uh, kind of see fit. For example, with you at, at, at Ball State, I know uh, they've started to let, you know, students into the, into the basketball games, the men's and the women's games. I know you've gone to a few games in person now. What, what's that experience been like? I mean, have, have, have uh, they been, like, how have they been seating you? Have you been spaced out? How, how have they been handling all that? Uh, it's, it's quite interesting you bring that up because it's basically an empty arena, it's the student section and the student sections. It's the cheerleaders in their own section to the right of us. The band, a couple sections, I think, to the left of us. So, so, like, two sections away. I believe, like, student athletes are in the section, like, are around us, but they're still separated from us. So, it's mostly an empty stadium beyond just the kids that are already on campus, the student athletes and the students. And yeah. the parents, of course. I, I should I should mention that as well. Yeah, sure. It's um, yeah, you know, and I think the other part about this when, you know, we were 
kind of chatting back and forth with uh, with James the other day about this too. I think the other part of it, the other reason that this doesn't surprise me is the fact that the tournament is held in Cleveland. You know, if you watch any NFL games this year, the Browns had fans in the stands uh, down a couple hours south in Cincinnati. The Bengals had fans in the stands as well. So again, like you said, Sam, um, it doesn't say anything on here about what exactly the capacity is going to be. I would assume based on um, you know, protocols and, and, you know, looking at what some other leagues have done, I would assume it would be somewhere around, you know, 20 or 25% capacity. So you figure, I don't know, maybe they can get three or 4,000 people um, into uh, rocket mortgage field house there in Cleveland and, um, you know, recoup a little bit of the money that's, that's been lost over this past year. We know we've talked a lot about it during football season, how, uh, you know, the lack of ticket revenue is, is, is tough for some of these programs and for the conference in general. So from a business perspective, um, I, I guess it's not too surprising that they would do it. And, um, you know, I don't know. I think it's a, it's a great event uh, having the, the Mac tournament in Cleveland. And it's going to, it's cool that some fans are, are going to be able to, uh, to get in, into, uh, into the stands there. Um, now the other part that Sam, that, you know, we were talking a little bit before uh, we started recording here is that there were a ton of postponed games this week, both on the men's side and the women's side. And something that you and I were talking about and something that we wanted to discuss on the show here today is how is the conference going to make up all of these mm-hmm. games? I think, you know, the, 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 the conference tournament starts March 10th. It's February 11th right now. So you have essentially four weeks to make all these games up. I mean, on the men's side, there were three additional games. Uh, I should say four additional games postponed this week. Uh, Ball State had two, uh, one from Central Michigan, one from Eastern Michigan. You have Western Michigan and Buffalo postponed, Buffalo and Central Michigan postponed. And then on the women's side, you had four games postponed as well there. Eastern Michigan, Buffalo, Northern Illinois, Eastern Michigan, uh, Bowling Green, Eastern Michigan, and then Eastern Michigan and Akron. So as you can tell, Eastern Michigan having some trouble there uh, on both sides of the fence. But, you know, you look at things like, you know, Kent State on the women's side, they've only played eight conference games now when most teams have played 11 or 12 uh, on the men's side, there's really no huge discrepancies like that. Although I guess when you look at Northern Illinois, having only played seven conference games and Eastern Michigan, having only played eight, I guess maybe that is a little bit of a discrepancy there. I'm just curious how this is going to play out, Sam. Yeah. I think when uh, looking at Kent state, I'm looking at how many games they had postponed and they had, five so far and then uh, one at the beginning so that'd be six total and when you look at the where the schedule ends for example Kent State is on March 6th and I believe the tournament's the the following week what the yeah. 12th right I think it starts the 10th is the first the, day the, the 10th so four days later so you're either gonna have to find days example like where you have four days in between Central Michigan uh, Central and Western or three days in between Western Michigan and Northern Illinois four days between Northern Illinois and Buffalo, and you're just going to have to either put games in or stop calling them postponed and just cancel them for the sake of it. Because saying postponed, if you can't find a date for it, it's just being canceled at that point. Yeah, yeah. And you're exactly right. And and on the men's side of thing, you use the Kent State example for the women's side. On the men's side of thing, you know, I'm looking at Northern Illinois right now. Northern Illinois, uh, they've had their last six games postponed. They haven't played uh, since they lost to Ball State on January 16th. So they're, they're coming up on a month here where they haven't played a game. So they have six games to make up. Now, they're supposed to get back into action on Saturday against Kent State. But without having any of those games 
uh, that were postponed without having any of them rescheduled yet. Their upcoming schedule is they play Kent on the 13th and they have another game on the 16th then another game on the 20th then another game on the 23rd, another on the 27th, another on the second, another on the fifth. So you're already, your schedule's already packed. You know, you're playing games every three days already. Unless they're going to reschedule these games and force these schools to do like, you know, back to backs or something like they do in the NBA, which I think is highly unlikely I, I don't see a scenario where every team in the conference gets to finish their full schedule and play every game this year. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And you have maybe one game in between the 6th and the 10th that you can put for Kent State. But yeah. those six games, unless you want to do it a, a schedule where you're playing every other day, there's really no other way to do it. I, th- I think the conference should be realistic about calling it postponed and just say canceled. Because let's be honest, I think – where, where Eastern Michigan and we don't, we don't know when Eastern Michigan's really coming back because they're still having problems right now. So it could be for another two, three games. So yeah. at this point, maybe it'll come down to if conference looks at it and says, Hey, these six games for Kent state matter, but these three games for Eastern Michigan don't cause they're in the bottom of the conference. Maybe that's the situation they're looking at because there's only eight teams coming to the tournament and yeah. win percentage is going to, factor heavily into the the standings this year that you're you're exactly right and um as much as it it sounds terrible to say it that way i i don't know if there is another way to say it where it's like we got to prioritize these games for these teams that are in position to make the conference tournament if you know northern illinois sitting at one and six you know obviously their their games still matter and their team you know their kids on the team they want to play but at a certain point that you know there's only so much time so like you said uh you know winning percentage is going to play a huge part here coming down the stretch. It's going to be really interesting to see um, how this gets handled and how it, how it plays out because, you know, we've never had a situation like this in college basketball before where you're going to have to go into a conference tournament or even go into the NCAA tournament and, and look at teams records. Even, you know, you're looking at, you know, if you follow on ESPN, they have the bubble watch and stuff like that. And, you know, there's a very real, possibility that there are going to be power five conference teams getting uh at large bids to the ncaa tournament this year that have below 500 records because they're you know non-conference schedules were all but wiped out you know usually you're looking at 13 12 13 non-conference games a lot of schools this year only got three or four so going to be a really interesting month in college basketball um and i know the NCAA tournament is is the greatest sporting event in the world, and we're all looking forward to it. I think it might look a little bit different this year. And uh, same with the conference tournaments. I don't know, Sam. I, I'm still looking forward to them, but it's going to be interesting. Yeah, I, I agree with completely. I think, like you said, it's going to look different. Even with those limited number of fans, it's still going to not be the same as the conference tournaments we've seen in the past. Not going to be the same NCAA tournament because I don't think – I could be wrong on this, Zach, but I don't think they're letting in fans at this point. I think they're trying to – keep it like a uh, bubble as they can. So March Madness may be, may be somewhat like March Madness, but it's just not going to have the same feel to it. I agree. I agree. Um, but after it got canceled last year, I'm, I'm excited for anything that they can give us. So we'll see what happens there. Um, real quickly, um, mo- most of the show, the rest of the show is going to be basketball today, but real quickly, um, wanted to jump it over to the gridiron. We had some transfer news and football. We're not going to go through the whole transfer tracker again. 
uh, that gets a little bit cumbersome. I feel like we've been talking about transfers so much in football lately. Um, however, there was one notable transfer out of the conference here uh, that, that we wanted to touch on, Sam. Uh, yeah, so Kent State fans, you may not like the news, but you're kind of, I would say, all-star kicker in Matthew Trickett, who was, I believe, the 2019 Max uh, Special Teams Player of the Year, has decided, after putting his name in the transfer portal, decided to take his talents to Minnesota and join the, the former Mac coach himself at uh, the Minnesota Gophers. Yeah, you hate to see someone like Matthew Trickett go. I mean, he's been so consistent for so long for the Golden Flashes. Can't uh, can't fault him for for wanting to um, you know get a little bit more exposure and, and go to a you know a program in a larger conference. But man, I tell you what, he was a, a heck of a player for Kent State here for the last couple of years. Uh, in 2018 and 2019, he was the first team All MAC kicker. He was also the 2019 MAC Special Teams Player of the Year and uh, finished that year first in the entire FBS and converted field goals. Um, that year he, he made 29 field goals. He was 29 for 34 overall in his career at Kent state, 47 for 57 on field goals and 94 for 95 on extra points, quite a career, uh, for Matthew Trigget. And like you said, I'm sure, uh, you know, Kent state fans are going to be sad to hear him leaving. He's been quite a, uh, quite a, a staple for them the last couple of years. And anyone that's been a fan of a football team that has poor special teams, um, you should know you don't take kickers for granted. You know, a good kicker can really improve your team. So as a Mac fan, it's, you know, it's sad to see him walk out the door. Yeah. And Kent States can, can kind of, I guess they'll, they'll be upset by that news, but looking at their, um, their commitments, they do have a kicker coming in a two-star named Casey Magyar from Dublin, Ohio. So you do have a legendary guy leaving uh, in Matthew Trickett, but, Hey, depending on how Casey turns out, you may have the next one coming in. Yeah, we'll see. Those are some big, uh, some big shoes to fill uh, for sure. Uh, leaving a guy that, you know, or following a guy, I should say, that uh, leaves Kent State. He had two career uh, game-winning field goals. He also hit five field goals in the uh, Golden Flashes bowl victory over Utah State last year in the Frisco Bowl. So uh, good luck to Matthew Trickett as he continues his college career at Minnesota. Uh, moving back into basketball here, we had a couple last week. We talked about Justin Turner becoming the all-time leading scorer at uh, Bowling Green, and here uh, we got a couple other milestones: one in women's and, and one in men's for uh, some some prominent uh, players that we've talked about already on the show a lot. Oh uh, yeah, so Zach, we we've obviously touched on a thousand point scores. We'll touch on it in a minute again with Daquan Powell playing a little bit of spoiler, but this person for Ohio women's basketball scored not one thousand but 2,000 career points for the Ohio Bobcats. And that is uh, the the um, stud, that is CC Hooks. I'm not sure anyone's surprised with, with her scoring 2,000 points so far after watching her this season. Not only that, watching her for the past like three three seasons, now four. It's, it's an incredible feat, to be honest. We see a, we see a numerous amount of 1,000-point scores, but to score 2,000 is, is something special. Yeah, it, it really is. And uh... – not only 2,000 points, but she's now second in career scoring all time at Ohio. Uh, she's only trailing uh, Caroline Mask, who's, who scored uh, 2,449 points. So with CeCe Hooks now uh, sitting just over 2,000, she's going to need like – she would need like 400 points, a little bit more than 400 points to catch Caroline Mask. I just did the math in my head. 
Ohio's got six games left in the regular season. You're going to assume at, at least one conference game. I would think they'll probably win one. So you're looking at at least seven, probably eight or nine games left uh, to score 400 points in nine games. Uh, that would, that would be quite a tall task, but um, nonetheless, 2000 points in itself is a, a huge milestone for her. Congrats for her. And, um, you know, she, she's been, I mean, like you said, Sam, we've talked about her a ton on the show. She's been consistent for many years for Ohio. And if you want to score 2000 points, that's the way you got to do it. You're not, you know, there's, there's nobody that is uh, a 2000 point scorer that, you know, doesn't get a chance to play until their junior year or their senior year. If you're a 2000 point scorer, that means you're contributing as a freshman, you're contributing as a sophomore and kind of growing with the program. And that's definitely what she's done. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Looking back on her uh, points per game, even as a freshman, she was scoring 13 and a half points per game. She yeah. moved up to 17.7 and then 18.2 her junior year and uh, 16.5 overall. So she's definitely a stud. She's averaging close to 50% from the field. Like not only is she scoring, she's scoring at an efficient rate, and that's really what you want from a person. And yeah, wa watching her is definitely impressive and uh, with her and Erica Johnson, this Ohio's women's team, it's it's we've talked about it for this past season. It's it's uh, scary to watch. Yeah, for sure. And if Ohio wants a, a chance to you know get back to the NCAA tournament and climb up the max standings here over the next couple of weeks, they're definitely going to need CC and, and Erica Johnson to uh, to step up here. Currently, the Bobcats sitting at nine and five in the conference, 11 and six overall. So they're currently in sixth. If they were to if we were to start the conference tournament here today, uh, their first round matchup would be against Buffalo. Perhaps not a terrible matchup for uh, the Bobcats. They beat Buffalo already once this year, 84, 81 at home in Athens. They travel up to uh, Buffalo at the end of February on the 27th. So it'd be interesting to see the rematch there. But Again, a couple games in between now and then for the Bobcats, and, and they've certainly been playing uh, pretty well lately. So uh, you, you will see how how they uh, how CC uh, Hooks and Erica Johnson are able to lead them here over the next couple of weeks. And then uh, one other milestone here that we have: uh, Daquan Plowden, uh, Sam from from Bowling Green, he reached a thousand points for the Falcons. Yeah, this kind of got overshadowed when. Um, uh... Bowling Green lost to Western Michigan win. Justin Turner became the all-time league scorer. But during that game, actually, Daquan Plowden, who I mentioned, I believe, last episode, being close to a 1,000-point score, actually did uh, score a 1,000 points. He only needed seven. He finished with 18, so he's got 1,011 right now, and he's on his way to uh, to scoring even more for the Bowling Green um, Falcons. But, yeah. Uh, what, what, a, not, I wouldn't say as impressive as CC because we see plenty of a thousand point scores, but Hey, scoring a thousand with any program is pretty impressive. Yeah, no doubt. And I think the thing with Daquan Plowden is, you know, he's also, you know, he's 13th all time in rebounding at Bowling Green with 662 rebounds. So, you know, this is a guy, uh, that has really kind of been, I, I, I don't want to say second fiddle to Justin Turner, but Justin Turner gets a lot of the press for Bowling Green, right? And he, deservedly so. He's one of the best players in the conference. But this is a guy um, that was second team All-Mac last year. He was Mac East Player of the Week two times. Um, he was third on the team in scoring last year. And, um, you know, he. this is a guy that's been a consistent player, a very good player for Bowling Green, kind of under the radar. Uh, like I said, doesn't get kind of the press that Justin Turner does. But he's still a guy that has really – 
uh, you know, really acquitted himself well over his career at Bowling Green. It's another guy who's, who's a fourth year senior. And um, really he's just, it's, you know, you love to see someone like this who kind of just keeps his head down and, and doesn't, uh, you know, doesn't command a lot of attention, but he, he keeps his head down and works hard and you'd like to see him get to a milestone like this. Yeah, I think every year you mentioned we have uh, players you wouldn't expect reach a thousand point milestones. I think we've talked about earlier this season. We'll continue to see in the season beyond. And and Daquan Pons, like many of the Mac stars, who d- d- doesn't get the press uh, they um, they rightfully deserve, but he gets the job done. He fits his role well, and I think that's what's special about these um these each of these teams is they have players that are willing to fit their role and really put aside their ego for what's better of the team i i think it's special uh shout out to daquan Platton for finally hitting that milestone it's definitely he definitely deserves it and yeah it's it's rightfully impressive yeah no it is and uh, you know i'm on his his uh page at on bowling greens website right now did not realize he was uh, a philly boy from philadelphia a lot of good high school basketball players have come out of philly so um, yeah, best of luck to him moving forward, but, you know, for, for his sake and, and for the Falcons sake, hopefully they can turn things around here in the next couple of weeks heading into the conference tournament. We'll talk about that a little bit here, uh, a little bit more in a couple minutes, but, uh, once again, congrats to CC hooks, congrats to Daquan, Daquan Plowden, certainly, uh, huge milestones there for, for both of them, Sam, let's go ahead and move in to the, uh, the Twitter question this week. Um, thank you any, to all of our, uh, our, our fans who responded this week and, um, Sam, I like the question you put out this week. Was a you know a bold take that you have for for the rest of basketball season? I thought we got some great responses. Uh yeah. Uh, our first one at Zip sixty. Danny Meatball said, "Zips Mac Tourney champs plus one win in the NCAA tournament." Heard it here first, folks. You know what? Mac teams have have proven to be great Cinderella stories in 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 the in the tournament before. I remember many years ago, Kent State making that run to the Elite Eight. Um, back in, I want to say 2010 or 2011, Ohio made that run to the sweet 16. I mean, if Lauren Christian Jackson and, and, um, Bryce Atkins and, and Ali Ali, and those guys are playing at a high level, they, the, the zips could certainly knock someone off if they're hitting their shots and, and, you know, the way they've been playing lately, um, I, I could see it happening. I'm not going to say I, I would, you know, uh, pick it in my bracket, but I could definitely see it happening depending on the matchup. Yeah, I, I I like Akron actually in the NCAA tournament. I, I kind of agree with them. The way they play, if if like you said, they're hitting their shots, they have multiple wins of beating guys Western Michigan by 20, Eastern Michigan by 20, Ball State by 30, Central Michigan by 14, Bowling Green 12. So they have the wins that proves that they can compete with anybody. So I think if any of the MAC teams are to do in the NCAA tournament, whether it's uh, Toledo all the way down to Ball State or Western or Central sneaks in and somehow wins it, I think Toledo and Akron and Kent State are kind of the best teams to move on to the NCAA tournament and potentially get a win there. No, I, I agree completely. The only thing that concerns me about Akron, and this is a, a, a small concern, but they they didn't have a chance to get really – tested this year in in the non-conference schedule you would have liked to have been able to see them measure up how they measure up against a power five team but they only played three non-conference games this year two of them were against division two schools and then the third was against saint bonaventure which they lost the zips remember they were kind of overrun with with covid issues at the beginning of the season and had a bunch of games canceled but you're right what you said sam about kind of the way that they play and 
you know, with, with the, you know, the, the talent that they have, especially Lauren Christian Jackson. And like I mentioned, Brian Trimble jr. Um, these are, they, they have a, a great team. Um, I, I am a little bit, I don't know. It concerns me a little bit that I feel like Lauren Christian Jackson is the, the team goes as he goes. Right. Mm-hmm. So more so than other teams in the conference. So if he has an off night, you're in trouble, but if he's playing well, yeah, I definitely could see them knocking someone off in the first round. Yeah, I agree. I, I think you you bring up a great point about the lack of depth, like their last game against Tant State. Their really main two scores were Lauren Christian Jackson and Trimble Jr. who had 26. Mm-hmm. So the lack of depth, I will agree with you, is concerning. We've seen Ali Ali step up at times. We've seen, obviously, Lauren Christian Jackson step up like he needed to in this Trimble Jr. So if they get more production from maybe the bench, I, I think they can make a run. But I think your point about uh, the lack of depth there is is rightfully deserved. Yeah. And uh, so we'll see. We'll see. They've, they've certainly, I mean, they've been playing as well as anybody in the conference here um, over the last couple of weeks. This next response here, Sam, I actually, I, I really like from our um, friend of the show, Barbara acting said Toledo to the sweet 16. We know, uh, we know he is a, uh, a Toledo fan and a Toledo alum. They've been playing really well. They're, they got a heck of a squad. Sweet 16, though, man, I don't know. That's the tall task. Yeah, I, I like we said, uh, we we knew Toledo was going to have one of those games that they had against Ball State where their shots weren't hitting. I was at that game. They had plenty of open shots that they could hit. It just didn't go down. And I th- I think Toledo fans have to be happy with their what they're at. But Sweet 16, I think if any team can get at least two wins, it's definitely Toledo. But at the same time, it's definitely a bold take, that's for sure. Yeah. I, I think they have the best chance out of anybody is what I'm saying. I just don't know if they can get it done. I can see them as a round of 32 team, but to say they're a sweet 16 team, as good as they are, that's kind of that's kind of risky. Yeah, I, I agree with that completely, Sam. And the thing that Toledo does have going for them is that they're kind of the opposite of Akron in the sense of this team has depth. This team has five guys on their squad averaging over 12 points a game. Um, all of your starters can basically score and get you a bucket whenever you need one. And then Kashawn Saunders coming off the bench as the sixth man kind of, you know, he's, he's another guy that he only averages seven and a half a game, but he can still, he can score for you. Here's the thing that worries me about Toledo is that they're, they're so guard driven and there's nothing wrong with that. But if you look, you know, they're, they're top two rebounders. Um, well, I should say Ryan Rollins, who's a guard, is their second rebounder. But then two and three, uh, Cedric Milner and, and uh, Shumate are your starting big men. And Milner is only 6'6", Shumate's 6'7". You know, you go up against a power five team. Let's say you get past the first round and you go up against a power five team in, in the second round. Chances are you're going to be facing some big bodies there. And you're going to have to defend under the in the paint. You're going to have to rebound well. And I think that might be where Toledo struggles a little bit. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think I have a little bit of a different opinion on their struggles. And I think I from watching that that Toledo Ball State game, it seems like they're too dependent on that three-point shot. They, they shot 32 two, uh, threes, only made seven of them. And they shot 67 total attempts from the field. 
when your shot's not falling, it's not falling. And at some point you've just got to say, Hey, we're not hitting three point shots. And I get, you want to get your team rolling and you got, if you hit one, you may hit two and then you may hit three and get your team going. But at some point you gotta, you gotta stop being content with shooting outside shots and get to the pain and be aggressive because one of these teams, like you said, is going to have a big man and is going to cause some foul foul issues for your team. And you're going to need need to be able to match that and to to just just be content with shooting threes. Yeah, like that's obviously what you want to do in the in this kind of era of basketball. But at some point, you got to say, hey, it's not falling. We're shooting 21% from three. We we got to get some we got to get some um some some free thirds because they they shot a nice percentage, 60 of 19. If they wouldn't have been so content to take mid-range and three-point shots, I think they could have beaten Ball State. Yeah, I, I hear you. And I think you're you're exactly right. I think that anytime you have – I'm not saying that Toledo is, is one-dimensional, but you have to have a secondary option, right? So, you know, we, we've talked a lot here on this show where – their offense has looked unstoppable, but games like the one against Ball State where you don't shoot well, those are inevitable. I don't care how good you are on offense. There's going to be a game where your shots aren't falling, and you got to have a backup plan whenever that happens. And as the Ball State game, as you just mentioned, Sam, um, that kind of showed that, you know, maybe, I, I, you know, I don't know what Toledo's backup option is. And so we'll see. Now, if they're hitting their shots, yes, I could see them going to the Sweet 16 and knocking a few teams off. You figure, I don't know, I, I would assume at this point they're probably going to be, what, maybe an 11 seed. So that would mean you're probably knocking off a six seed in the first round probably, and then playing a three seed uh, in round two. Certainly it's not outside of the realm of possibility. We'll have to see, though. They'll have to be firing on all cylinders when it gets to that point. Yeah, I agree. And then our last response here from our friends over at the uh, the College Sports Connection podcast, Alex and AJ, another bold take here that I really like said uh, getting two teams into the NCAA tournament, the Mac will this year on the men's side. Now, Sam, I think the only way I could see this happening is if Toledo doesn't lose another game in the, in the rest of the regular season, and then they get knocked off in the championship game of the conference tournament. I think that would have to be, if, if that's what's going to happen, I think Toledo's the only team in the conference that even comes close to having an at-large profile. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Like, I've seen bracketology where Toledo has been put as a 12 seed. So I think that's the only, like you said, I think that's the only way possibility where they don't lose, I would say, not even any game, because obviously you're going to lose, I would say, one uh, to two left. Yeah. So I, I would say one to two get to the championship, and then I would say some other team knocks off, whether it's uh, two through eight. So whether that's Akron or Ball State to Bowling Green to Miami, Ohio, Buffalo, Ohio State, or Kent State, one of those teams has to win, and and Toledo has to make the championship. Otherwise, that's reaching a little bit. Yeah, it is. And, you know, I just looked up, you know, the, the new criteria that the NCAA is using this year, you know, the, the NCAA net rankings – uh, is kind of, you know, that metric that they use for, um, you know, for giving out at-large bids. And uh, Toledo currently sitting at 60th in the net rankings, which definitely, I would say if you're at 60, you're right there. I mean, you're, you're in the conversation of the bubble. I mean, you look at the teams around Toledo, Oregon, Stanford, Memphis, UConn. Those are certainly some other teams that you we've seen and heard in bubble talk. So it's not outside of the realm of possibility, but the Toledo, uh, you know, they'd have to play really well here down the stretch and, uh, and, and not slip up at all. And while we're looking yeah, at, I agree. 
you know, while I'm looking at net rankings, uh, you know, if you're listening to this NCAA selection committee, my guys at Penn State, they might be seven and nine, but we're 31st in the net, hardest strength of schedule in the country. <laughs> so I'm just, I, I got to make my pitch there. I got to make my pitch there. Um, hey, yeah, I don't blame you. <laughs> um, I think that was, am I missing any responses there, Sam? I think that was all of them. No, I think that was all of them. Good stuff. So uh, thank you guys always, as always, for the, uh, the interaction there on Twitter. We always really, uh, really enjoy that. Um, anything here, anything else you wanted to, to cover in the, in the news or the Twitter segment here, Sam? Uh, I don't think so. I think we covered it all. If, if you have any here, I'll make this claim because we mentioned the Daquan plot news. If you have any news that you want to see featured on this podcast or anything, just hit us up, uh, send us it on our DMs to the link to the article or whatever. So we can look at it because honestly, it's, it's hard to keep up with everything that's going on on the Mac. And yeah. sometimes we miss one or two things. So yeah, just hit us up on Twitter if you if you want any uh, new uh, featured. It's a great point, Sam. A great idea, and I can't believe we hadn't thought about that before. So, uh, kudos to you there. Um, let's go ahead and, and move over to uh, to you know finish out the show here with with some basketball talk. Like we mentioned at the beginning, we're a month away from the conference tournament here. Um, so, I wanted to kind of uh, start kick off this segment, the basketball segment of uh, let's just take a look at the standings, both on the men's side and the women's side, um, see what we're looking at right now, see what we're dealing with and, you know, what the matchups would be in the first round. Um, if we were to start the conference tournaments here today, um, let's see here. Let's start on the women's side here. Um, one thing that, uh, I am still continued to be impressed by is the performance of Bowling Green. Uh, they're sitting at the comp top of the conference in 11 and three, I saw a tweet from Jordan Strack today, who is the, uh, the sports director um, at WTOL in Toledo. Uh, and he mentioned, I, I didn't realize this, but Bowling Green on the women's side, they were picked 11th in the preseason poll here in the conference. And here they sit at 11 and three, 15 and four overall. They're currently in first place, Kent State in second, Buffalo in third, uh, tied with Northern Illinois. They're both sitting at eight and three. Central Michigan, at five, Ohio at six, Eastern Michigan at seven, and Ball State at eight. So we're looking at a potential uh, one-eight matchup here, Sam, of uh, Bowling Green and Ball State, uh, but only you know three and a half games separate them. So we've talked a lot about the parity on the women's side, and that has maintained. That's still the case. Yeah, I, I think that the interesting matchup that I'm looking forward to is. Probably Buffalo, Ohio. I think to I think the most interesting matchup or most closest matchup will be Buffalo versus Ohio. I really like that matchup. We mentioned Ohio earlier with the the news of uh, uh, CC Hook scoring two thousand points. I think that could be a really fun matchup if that that uh, those standings hold. Yeah, for sure. And um, you know, the first time those two teams met a uh, couple weeks back in Athens, Ohio squeaked out an eighty four eighty one victory. Got the return, uh, the return matchup in uh, Buffalo here at the end of the month. So I agree with you. That would be a great matchup there. Two teams that were picked towards the top of the conference at the beginning of the year. So that would be a great first round matchup. The other uh, potential first round matchups here in the women's side, uh, Kent State and Eastern Michigan. Kent State's going to be interesting because again, Sam, you know, they're sitting, they've only played eight conference games. Everyone else has played at least 11. So they're a little bit behind uh, in terms of games played, but still sitting at second. Um, they'd be matched up versus Eastern Michigan, who they just lost to in their first game back uh, earlier uh, or last week. Now we're looking at, and then you'd have that four-five matchup. I think another great potential matchup there: Northern Illinois 
and uh, and Central Michigan, uh, two teams that that have been playing really well as of late. So some certainly some some good potential matchups there on the women's side. And then if we look over at the men here, Sam, um, you know we, we're starting to see. Uh, obviously, Toledo has kind of established themselves as the best team in the conference. They're sitting at eleven and two. Uh, Akron at nine and three in second. Kent State at eight and four in third. Buffalo at seven. Or I'm sorry, Ohio at seven four. Buffalo at six and four. Miami at five and five. Bowling Green at six and seven. They have fallen all the way back to seventh place. And then your Cardinals coming in at eighth once again uh, on the men's side. Sam, just like in the women's side, at five and six. Man, I tell you what, that, a tall task for the Cardinals on both sides of the fence here to go in against the one seed to kick things off. But if Saturday's game against the Rockets uh, on the men's side was any indication, can't count them out. Yeah, exactly. And another thing, another, one matchup I'm looking forward to on the men's side of everything holds is actually the Akron Bowling Green Falcons. I think we can both agree if Bowling Green can figure things out like they were, I, I, I believe they were nine and two before they fell into this. Uh, it would be one and seven slump. So if they can get back to that point where they're just figuring things out, they're as good as Akron or Kent State. And I think that's going to be a potential exciting matchup, but that's only if Bowling Green doesn't just keep skidding and skidding and falling and yeah, falling. I agree completely. And, you know, we were talking in the Twitter segment about, you know, the Mac getting two teams into the NCAA tournament. I'm not saying I think this will happen, but I could absolutely see a scenario where Bowling Green enters the conference tournament as the seven seed and all of a sudden catches fire and goes to the final and, you know, and, and wins the whole thing. I could absolutely see that happen given the talent that they have on the flip side of that, man, if I'm Akron and I, I finally start playing well and I, you know, I'm sitting at nine and three in second place in the conference. And my reward for that is I get to play the preseason favorite in the conference in the first round of the tournament. Not, that's not a great, uh, not a great reward for a good season for the zips, but you know, that such is life, I suppose. I also think that, um, the uh, the four five matchup there between Ohio and Buffalo would be really interesting. Ohio has really started to play well over the last couple of weeks. I think the big man matchup in that game of Dwight Wilson versus Josh and Bala would be really interesting. Yeah, I, I think so too. And I think the one thing to mention about this tournament or really any tournament is you're you're playing basically four games or three games and five four or five days so it's yeah. all about catching fire so what whether you're miami ohio whether you're kent state whether you're buffalo whether you're northern illinois it's all about just catching fire and getting hot at the right time so whoever it is from toledo or bowling green like we saw last year with the buffalo losing to miami ohio it's just all about catching fire at the right time and hitting your shots and that that's really the key to any tournament no you're exactly right that that's definitely a factor playing those games in quick succession is, is a little bit different than the rest of the regular season. Uh, let's move in and, and talk about some specific games uh, that caught our eye this week, Sam. Uh, hit some great games on, on the men's side. Uh, let's start off with uh, the, the, the rivalry game uh, in Northeast Ohio that took place on uh, this past Friday. Akron went into Kent State, and, um, man, I tell you what, Akron really kind of asserted their dominance in the first half of this game, ended up winning 72-61. to 61. I mean, when you only score 18 points in the first half, that's definitely yeah. not a success, key to success to win any games. And I was watching Danny Pippen these last two games, and I was thinking a good nickname for him would be Iron Man. Watching him play on those two knee braces, 
That just yeah. defines who he is. He's not going to let no two, two knee surgeries keep him down. He's just going to keep fighting, put two, two straight double-doubles. Even if he's shooting bad 6 of 20 against Akron, I think 5 of 16 or 6 of 17. Uh, this past game against um, against uh, Bowling uh, Green, that yeah, is, Bowling in Green, that yeah. four-point win. So, I like, Danny P- Pippen is just the definition of an Ironman to me, but credit – Akron, despite their despite their kind of lack of depth issues, they they found a way to get a win against Kent State. Yeah, no doubt. And I think um, you know, having beaten Kent State twice now, I think we can say with confidence that you know Akron is the the second best team in this conference. Now, the caveat to that is for you know for Kent State, you don't have your second leading scorer in this game, and in, in Mike Nuga, that certainly hurts not having him, but. On the flip side of that is whenever you have injuries like that, that that's inevitable. You got to have other guys step up, um, and they and they did to an extent in this game. I mean, Travell Beck had ten points, so did Giovanni Santiago, and uh, and then off the bench, uh, Malik Jacobs had twelve for the flashes. But but regardless, like you said, Sam, you're down thirty eight eighteen at halftime in this game. They did. Uh, you know, outscore Kent by nine in the second half. They got the game to uh, five points a, a couple times, you know, right under the two minute mark, they cut it to 66 to 61. But still, when you dig yourself a, a 20 point deficit at halftime, um, you know, there's, there's, there's not much you can do. You're not going to win that game, you know, 99% of the time. Also, you know, we talked a lot last week, Sam, about turnovers, 17 turnovers for Kent state in this game. If you turn the ball over 17 times and you only shoot 34.8% of from the field, you're not winning many basketball games. Yeah, I agree. And, and you bring up a, a interesting point of next man up. That's the theme of the season. Whenever one person goes down, whether it's football season, we've seen this basketball season now, it's next man step up. That's what you have to have as a team. So whether it's Nuga uh, being down, whether it's Beck down, whether it's one of the five players for Ohio that can score, whether it's the one of the 10 people for Toledo that can score, it's all about <laughs> next man up. And for you to, to make a run, you, you have to have multiple uh, shooters. You have to have multiple people step up. And even with Nuga out, that's no excuse. Every every team's dealing with their own issues, whether it's COVID, injuries, whatever. You just have to find a way to win because that's basically the theme of the season. Yeah, it really is. And, you know, you look at the box score this game. And we, for Akron, we go back to what we were talking about with the lack of depth there, Sam. I mean, 26 points for Brian Trimble, 21 for Lauren Christian Jackson. Nobody else on the team scored more than six points. So, if they, if you know, if if they want to make a run in the in the conference tournament and get to the big dance, they're going to have to find some secondary options here um, on the offensive side of the ball. They certainly have uh, the you know the the ability to do so. It's just going to be a matter of seeing if they can uh, they can put all the pieces together there. Um, next game, I wanted to talk about Sam, and I I know you got to attend this one in person, but. Your Cardinals on Saturday against Toledo, we've been talking a lot about Toledo and how well they've been playing on offense. And I tell you what, the the Cardinals came out and really, I mean, after a slow start, they really, really asserted their will in this game. Yeah, down 13 to three early. I thought this game would have was just going to continue like that 13-3, but they managed to fight their way only down by two in the first half. 
come out in the second half, just guns blazing, six people in uh, double figures. I will say one key that I've noticed from this team from watching it is Jerron Coleman, and he's the he's the centerpiece for this team. And for them to have success, it's going to have him. It's going to have Ish next to him. It's going to have Bumbleo still shooting threes at a high percentage. It's Myron Thomas, it's Brock and Hazen. But the main piece, to, the main cog to keep this offense flowing is going to be Jerron Coleman moving forward. And he was definitely a key 19 points. Uh, nine rebounds and I'll talk about him later in my player of the week but like for this offense without him they just look they just look terrible without him but it just click when he's out there on the floor yeah you're right and I I think in in the the ball state games that I've seen this year there has been a notable difference for them especially offensively since Jerron Coleman came back from that injury um, when, you know, he wasn't available and wasn't playing at the beginning of the year. Well, one thing that I wanted to ask you, Sam, um, you know, being that you were at the game, I, I got to see a little bit. I watched a little bit of the first half, but whenever Ball State really caught fire and, and took the lead and kind of pulled away in this game, I, I wasn't able to see that part. You know, Toledo shot 32.8% from the field, 21.9% from three, only seven for 32 from three. Did you get the sense watching this game? Was it just a day where Toledo was getting good shots and they weren't falling? Or did you feel like Ball State defensively had a really good game plan that shut them down? I think Toledo found them in a group where they were finding good shots, but they were just settling. Like I said earlier, they just were depending on it, not just the three, but just the mid-range shot. They weren't really trying to be aggressive because 60 and 19, you think that's a lot of free throws. They could have had a heck of a lot more. Yeah. They, they, those rests were a lot of a lot of technicals. They definitely could have had a lot more free throws, but they were just settling for for the the open shot because that's that's their identity. I, I watched them. They they would come down the floor. Mayor and Jackson would pop a three. Ball State would get the rebound and then uh, go back on the other side of the court. So. Toledo was just, I think, selling too much where they were, just weren't hitting their shots. Now, if they would, if they would have been in the groove hitting their shots, I think they would have won. But I think they could have easily won this by not just shooting threes, not just chugging up threes, because you have multiple multiple people who are shooting one for six, one for six, one for four, zero oh for three, and two for two for eight from the three. Yeah, certainly. And you know, the other thing that I brought up earlier when we were talking about Toledo and and my concerns for Toledo was I, I mentioned, the, you know, the rebounding and, and who's 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 going to step up under the boards for the Rockets. And I think when you look at the box score of this game, Ball State wins the, the rebounding battle 50 to 39. That's exactly what I was talking about there is like you mentioned, you know, when you're a jump shooting team, if you're not hitting your shots on a particular day, you got to be able to get some offensive rebounds and turn those into second chance points. And I I don't know if Toledo is going to be able to do that. If they have another game like this where they shoot, you know, on, under 35% from the field and they're not hitting their threes, I'm, I'm not sure that they're going to have an answer in that regard and be able to get offensive rebounds and second chance points. Yeah, I agree. And, and Ball State's a team that shouldn't be winning the, the, the rebound battle. They just, they just haven't all season. Yeah. Toledo should be winning that battle nine times out of 10. Maybe it's because of their lack of size with their biggest guy being shoemate, sh- but that yeah. that's really no excuse. Ball state's biggest guy, I think is Brockton Hazen. Who's like six, seven, six in the yeah. starting lineup. And, and you should, you should not be letting him win. win. Yeah. Yeah, certainly a, a big win for the Cardinals as well. 
uh, having lost, uh, what had they lost, five of six or you know, four in a row, certainly uh, prior to that game. Uh, you know, if they want to hold on to that eighth spot, which I, I don't think, you know, Western Michigan or Central Michigan will challenge them too hard for that. But uh, a couple of big games coming up for them here over the next, uh, you know, week or so. We'll see if Eastern Michigan can get back, can get back on uh, on the court in time. Although I, I guess actually I, I we already talked about that. They, they've already postponed that game. Mm -hmm. So looks like the next time the Cardinals are going to get to play, it's going to be next week against Bowling Green. We got Bowling Green, Akron and Central Michigan coming up as their next three. So certainly a, uh, a critical stretch here for the Cardinals as they try to right the ship. Um, the next game here, um, this was a game I was surprised by this outcome here, Sam. Uh, Miami went up to Buffalo to take on uh, the Bulls this past Saturday. Miami had been playing pretty well lately. Buffalo, we've talked a lot about their inconsistencies, but the Bulls really took control of this one. They were up 17 at halftime in this game and uh, really kind of controlled it from there, 88 to 64 the final in this one. Yeah, I think this is a perfect example of what I was talking about when I said the Buffalo should be dominating everybody. They have top to bottom, one, I would say maybe outside of Toledo, the best uh, top to bottom starting five in uh, the MAC. And yeah. these past, I would say even three games dating back to the game against Ohio where they lost by one, they're starting to turn around a corner ever since we were really critical of them after losing games to Bowling Green, losing games to Kent State. Buffalo shouldn't be that team. I think I think these past three games where they got a 20.1 against uh, Ball State, now a back-to-back 20.1 with um, Miami, Ohio, and they have their next two games canceled, unfortunately, so we won't get a watch against Western Michigan or Central Michigan. But they're slowly starting to turn a corner, and maybe this break, and then they're going to play Eastern Michigan, maybe this break is going to do even better things for Buffalo because if they can reach their potential coming into the MAC tournament, maybe they're only a five, six seed come tournament time that, that's gonna be a scary bulls team no it really is you're, you're exactly right the thing i like about this team and, and especially when you look at this game you mentioned earlier a couple minutes ago sam kind of like the the next man up mentality here right where for for buffalo you've got four great players in your starting lineup you got uh, Jonathan williams josh Mbala, javon graves ronaldo segu but those guys aren't going to be able to carry you every game. So when you look at this box score from this game and, and you know, watching the game, you have uh, a guy like David Skoman coming off the bench, 16 points and 11 rebounds. You have a guy like Trevon Fagan coming off the bench, 14 points for him, six for eight from the field. These are two guys that on the season, uh, Skoman's averaging seven minutes a game, Fagan's averaging 10 minutes a game, and neither of them is averaging more than four points. So the fact that they have these guys on the bench that haven't been asked to do a lot this year, but are capable of coming in and producing, I think that bodes well for, for the Bulls moving forward. Um, because again, you know, we talked a little bit about how Akron has had a lack of bench production and some of these other teams as well. I think that might be a big reason why the Bulls have started to play a little bit better here over the last few weeks. Yeah, I agree. I think that's a that's an issue we mentioned where they were just so starter dependent earlier in the season. It was hurting them. So maybe they figured out that, hey, let's get some bench production. Let's give these guys some more minutes to kind of switch things around because not only do you need your starters to score, but you need your, um, your bench to score as well. And moving over to Miami, Ohio, last two games – a uh, game against Kent, which you lost by now, and now a 20-point loss against Buffalo. We talked about how Miami rattled off three straight wins, and now they've lost three of their past four. It's 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 looking like they're hot and cold uh, coming out of Miami. 
Yeah, you're right. And I think the thing that concerns me a little bit if I'm Miami is that it, it seems almost as if the conference has kind of figured them out, right? Day-Day Grant, Mikhail Larry, and Delonte Brown, those are your three big scorers from Miami. And in this game, I mean, Day-Day Grant, he had, he got his, he had 18 points, but um, Mikhail Larry, only 12 points, only four for 10 from the field. And um, Delonte Brown, uh, four points, only two for eight from the field. So um, that, that concerns me a little bit if I'm, if I'm Miami. Also, the fact you got out-rebounded here 42 to 31. Nobody's, I'm not going to hold that against them too much. I mean, Buffalo is fourth in the entire country in rebounds per game at 42.6. But, yeah, um, you know, I think the thing with Miami that uh, concerns me a little bit is that they just – they really seem to struggle to score. Sometimes you look mm-hmm. at this game, only, you know, 64 points in this game, 68 in their last loss against uh, Kent state before that, uh, you know, even against Western Michigan in their last win, they only scored 65 points in that game. So in a game like this, where, you know, if you know that you're only going to be able to score in the mid sixties, you got to play good defense. And obviously in this game here, you know, you give up 88 points to Buffalo. You let them shoot 44% from three point land, 50% overall, Certainly, uh, yeah, it's been a tough couple of weeks for the Red Hawks, and this was not an encouraging sign here. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And you mentioned their uh, their lack of just offensive production. And I was watching that at Miami, Ohio, Western Michigan, where they did win. So, you, like, they did get the job done. But their offenses, both Western Michigan and Miami, could not hit a shot. Their offenses were not clicking. Miami, Western Michigan, even losing by nine, shot a better field goal percentage then yeah. uh, Miami, Ohio, Miami, Ohio shot 26% from the three. And that's, that's what we saw again. I think, I think, I think Miami has a, a somewhat solid defense. It's just their offense needs to in a second gear because they had a nice stretch where they were hitting their shots. And now I think, like you said, the Mac defenses has just figured out how to stop uh, this, this Red Hawks offense. Yeah, I agree with you. And, you know, if I'm a Miami fan, I'm concerned because after that Western Michigan game that you mentioned, Sam, you're sitting at five and three in the conference. They were actually in third place at that point. And now after having uh, lost these last two games, they've dropped all the way back to sixth and they only got a half game lead on both Bowling Green and Ball State. So, you know, certainly uh, they, they got to get things figured out quickly there. Uh, in Oxford if, if they want to turn this around. Uh, and then the uh, last men's game here that I wanted to talk about tonight, Sam, was uh, obviously the, the the free fall for Bowling Green seems to be continuing. Uh, their most recent timeout took on Kent State at home in Bowling Green. Kent State pulls out a 71-67 to 67 win in this one. Kent State took a 38-32 lead in, in the halftime and, and was able to hold off the Falcons in the second half. This was certainly, Sam, a better performance from Bowling Green. I mean, we see them put up some pretty pretty poor halves of basketball recently. You didn't see that here in this game. But still, I mean, it's, you know, uh, you're, you know seventh straight loss is a seventh straight loss. It's not been good for the Falcons right now. Yeah, looking back at their last win was against Buffalo on January 15th and it is February 11th uh, we are recording this so that is almost a month since their last win I think Bowling Green I it's it's just they just keep falling in they just keep digging themselves out of a hole and not really getting themselves out of they should have beat Western Michigan they should have beat Kent State they had a they had two win they had two games against Kent State which were very winnable games you you lose to Ball State by 22 and like I said, ever since that Ball State game, you did have that one against Buffalo, but they just really haven't looked the same. 
I don't know what it is, whether it's the issues we're talking about or whether it's some within that locker room, whatever it is, they need to figure it out because this team, what, picks second or first in the MAC to win it? To win yeah, it a lot of a lot of people had them pick to win it all. And just to see them go from really nine and two to ten and nine where they are is just really, I would say, unacceptable. It's it's kind of like the the Toledo of football where you just have high expectations yeah. and just not living up to them. I I think Bowling Green, like Buffalo, should be at the top of the MAC, but they they are where they are. They just keep losing, and then their next game against Toledo in two days. I don't know if that's winnable at this point. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you. And you know, the thing about this team that I I can't figure out is that their their effort, especially on defense, their effort seems to really come and go I mean defensively you played pretty well last night against Kent State I mean you hold them to 71 points they only shoot 31.8 percent from three-point land but then if you look back at their at their losing streak here I mean they gave up 84 points to Toledo 96 points to Kent 96 points to Miami who we just got done talking about how they don't score the ball that well so you have all of this talent and you have the ability to play great defense. Like I said, you hold Kent State to 71 last night. Earlier this season, you look back, you go to Buffalo and hold them to 69 points. You hold Central Michigan to 65. You hold Northern Illinois to 42. You have the ability to defend the ball. You have the, the, the ability to play great defense. So these games where they give up 96 to Miami and Kent State and 84 to Toledo, I don't understand where there's some kind of – disconnect there between the team and the coaching staff or something because I don't understand how you can have such a wide range of results defensively yeah I I, I really don't know it either but I, I do see a concerning thing and as good as Justin Turner is I think he's just kind of leveling off he he was so great for so long especially last season and then this season just he's still scoring at the same rate I would say or at, at around the same rate but he's taking a lot more shots and I think taking out worse efficiency. So I think he's taking the ball in his hands way too much. Like this uh, game, he shot 19 of their, his team, 65 shots. That's almost a third of your shots. Yeah. And you're only hitting seven of those. If, if you want to put the team on your back, you're going to at least hit, have, hit at least half of those. Otherwise, spread the ball around, get more people open because you have a guy on your bench who's shooting six of 11. You have a guy who's shooting six of 14, a, a guy who shoot two guys who are shooting two of three. If th- those guys are hitting their shots as good as Justin Turner is, he just, I just, I just don't think he can force things like he did last season. He was shooting, he shoot, he shot one for seven from three. Yeah. I think when I watched Bowling Green recently, it seems to me that. Justin Turner, it seems to me like he's putting a lot of pressure on himself mm-hmm. and that he's pressing a little bit. And and to your point of what you said a, a couple minutes ago, Sam, is, you know, his his shot attempts are up. You know, he's taken 16.4 shots a game right now, which is more than he's taken in his career. Even, you know, last year uh, he was averaging just he was under like 14 and a half uh, shots a game. So he's averaging almost two additional shots per game right now. Now he is he does also have a um, a career high in assists per game this year at four point nine. But I still think your point stands is that you know like you said taking nineteen shots in this game where your shot isn't necessarily following, especially from three point land where you're one for seven. I think in a game like that, that's where 
you would hope that he, he would start to defer and get other guys involved. He did have five assists in this game, but I, I think I agree with your overall point of like, he seems like he's pressing a little bit, like he's trying to do too much. And sometimes, you know, guys of his talent level, they can fall into that trap where they think they can do everything because a lot of times they can, but when things aren't working, they start to kind of take more onto their shoulders and that doesn't always end well. Yeah, I agree. I, yeah, I agree. So uh, certainly, you know, Bowling Green, I, I, it's been a quite a free fall they've been in here over the last, you know, month and a half or so. Um, they have a couple chances here over the next few weeks to right the ship. Sam, you mentioned this weekend a huge game for them uh, coming as, as Toledo comes into Bowling Green for the return matchup. Toledo, um, oh, I'm sorry, this game's at Toledo. I apologize. The first one was at Bowling Green. And uh, that one did not end well for the Falcons where they, they gave up 84 points and uh, ended up losing that one 84 to, uh, to 66. So certainly a huge game on Saturday coming up for the Falcons. And, uh, and, and we'll talk a little bit here in a few minutes about the games that we're looking forward to this week. Let's jump over to the women's side, Sam. There were a couple great games this week on the women's side. Uh, you know, we've, we've talked a, a little bit about how the, the Bowling Green men's team has been in a little bit of a free fall. The, the women's team, though, for the Falcons has been quite the opposite. They're sitting at 11 and three in the conference right now. And, uh, you know, they have won what now seven of eight games. Another nice win for them uh, over Ohio uh, this past week, 69 to 53. They beat the Bobcats. Yeah, they had they had two really nice wins uh, uh, this week. You mentioned the 16 point win against Ohio, then a, a point win against uh, Kent State. Really, really solid effort from Bowling Green. Uh, unlike the men's team, they're kind of like opposite. They're really finding <laughs> their stride at the right time, seven of eight, while Bowling Green's men's team is less six in a row at this point, five in a row at this point, yeah, where the yeah. deal is. Really great effort from Bowling Green. Limiting Ohio, when you, when you, uh, limiting Ohio to 53 total points in the game on 34% shooting, 18 and a half uh, three point percentage. And when your offense, really isn't going what's the next best thing holding your opponents to really a low percentage and low points and that's what they did even if their offense wasn't clicking no you're exactly right sam and obviously i think ohio was hurt a little bit in this game by by uh, erica johnson's absence but um cc hooks uh, obviously we all we've talked about how great she is and you talked just now about the defense of bowling green you hold cc hooks to three of ten from the field oh for four from three-point land only 12 points for her in this game and then you look on uh, on the other side for for the falcons erica brett with 21 points and 10 rebounds in this one she's she's been great for the falcons recently and then uh, hampton as well with with 14 points and i you know i can't emphasize this enough sam that this Bowling Green team, they were picked 11th out of 12 teams in the preseason poll for the MAC, and they're sitting at the top of the conference right now with an 11 and three record, a two-game lead over the rest of the conference. They followed up that Ohio win uh, the other day with another really nice win in overtime um, at Kent State, uh, where um, Lexi Fleming hit a uh, hit a shot at the not at the buzzer, but with just a few seconds left. Or I'm sorry, not Lexi Fleming, Angela Perry. Um, hit, hit a layup with two seconds left to give Bowling Green the one-point win. Like you mentioned, Sam, they, they really seem to be finding their stride right now. Uh, yeah, I, I agree completely. What, what they've been doing this, this these past eight games you mentioned is just incredible. 
Uh, you mentioned the preseason poll. That's why preseason polls don't mean shit, in my opinion. Like, yeah, any anything can happen. One one team can have a slump. One team can have a, a great year. It doesn't really matter. You could you could do all the predictions you want, but it's just a matter of what you do out out on that hardwood. And Bowling Green's been proven why they're the top of the conference, similar to Toledo of the men's Bowling Green's proving why that they're at the top of Mac, getting win after win. 15 and four overall, 11 and three overall. Your net that your next closest is Kent State, who's only played eight conference game two yeah. games back. You you got to be happy if you're a Bowling Green fan. Yeah, I I agree, and and that was actually one of the reasons why I was so intrigued by this game because you know as you mentioned, Kent State they they were off for about a month with a bunch of games postponed. They lost their first game back to Ohio. And then they won two in a row against Miami and, and Toledo. So they, it seemed like they were maybe starting to find their stride again. And so I was curious to see how they would match up against another one of the top teams in the conference. And um, obviously, you know, it was a great game. And I think Kent State proved that they are one of the better teams. But Bowling Green still uh, pulls out a, a very nice, very well-deserved victory um, in, in both of those two very nice wins for the, uh, the Falcons this week. And then we, we mentioned Kent State there, uh, Sam. They Like I said, they, they lost their first game back uh, from their, their quarantine break against Ohio. They were able to come back and, uh, and get a nice win. I shouldn't say a nice win, getting a nail-biter against Miami. The Red Hawks really struggling this year. They're 2-15 and 15 overall, 1-12. and 12, But they gave the golden flashes all they could handle in this game. And I think this was a, a situation where you know Kent State was still kind of getting the rust off a little bit. Yeah, this is this is a game that was a a should be win for Kent State even with the month win in, and they they almost let uh, Miami Ohio and more specifically I should say Peyton Scott in this game yeah more than they should have Peyton Scott having thirty four points which if you're doing your math at home Miami Ohio scored sixty nine points so that's basically basically half of your points right there in one person yeah. she shot fourteen of twenty five from the field two of six from three really a great effort. And Kent State, this was a game you needed to win. You you a you had a a um, a um, you had a loss later in the week against Bowling Green. This was a game you needed to win. They did get the win, but I think it's it's a lot closer than what people uh, wanted. Yeah, I agree. And again, I think you could probably attribute that to at least partially to um, you know knocking some rust rust off. Um, and, you know, getting back into the swing of things. So, but Kent State here, um, you know, even after the, the loss to, to Bowling Green, um, you know, they still find themselves in, in a pretty good position. And I think, you know, when you look again at the, uh, this Miami game, um, you know, you got to take, hey, a win is a win at this point, I think. I don't think anyone's going to complain too much. You didn't get play quite as, as well as you would have liked for sure. But still, nonetheless, uh, a nice game. Uh, Neela Blackford led the way for the Golden Flashes, 23 and 10 there. A nice, uh, a nice double-double for her. And then you also had Lindsay Thal with a nice game for the Golden Flashes, 17 points for her, three for four from three-point land. Kent State here has some opportunities over the next couple of weeks to, uh, to, you know, get some momentum and get some confidence moving into the conference tournament. Big game for them at Central Michigan on Saturday. Uh, Certainly will be interesting to watch that one. And then uh, the last women's game I wanted to talk about here this week, Sam, uh, another one in Muncie, uh, kind of a a battle between two of those teams in the middle of the conference there, Uh, Ball State and Northern Illinois. The Huskies came into town. And uh, kind of, 
got some separation in the third quarter. The Cardinals came back a little bit in the fourth, but Huskies were able to pull this one out 78-74. I think this is a game where it was basically a mirror matchup. You have each each uh, team, Northern Illinois, having Shelby Coker, who's just having a phenomenal season. She scored 34 points in the game. She's averaging over 20 points a game in the season. And then you have Ball State with Ashlyn Brown, who scored 28 points. She's having an incredible season, and no one else – both these teams don't really have the depth to compete with the other team. So the, it was basically a mirror matchup. They shot almost identical from the field, 46% and 51%, 28 for 60 and 29 for 56. And then uh, 10 for 10 for free throws, 12 for 16 for free throws. I this, this matchup was as close as you could ask for. I would like to see this if this could be a, a potential um, NC or a conference tournament matchup because – this game would be fun to watch. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And, and I think, yeah, it's certainly a great performance in this one from, from both uh, Shelby Coker and Oshlin Brown. One thing that – you look at this box score. One thing that's crazy to me, Northern Illinois wins the rebounding battle in this game 36-26. to 26. First of all, for Ball State, you go a whole – a 40-minute basketball game and you only get 26 rebounds. That's pretty crazy to me. The even crazier thing, though, is that of those 26 rebounds, Oshlin Brown got 15 of them. So the rest of the team, only with 11 rebounds, she's got to have some help uh, underneath the basket there. I don't think that's, that's not a very sustainable way to play. The fact that they were still able to almost win this game, I think, is, is an, a tribute to, to Brown and how well she played, 28 points, 15 rebounds. It didn't seem like she, she had much help in this one, though. Yeah, I agree. Uh, yeah, like the rebounding battle you mentioned, I didn't even notice that 15 of them going to Ashland Brand, you definitely have to have help. But when you don't have size like Ball State does, it's kind of hard. And Ashland Brown's their entire offense and really entire team, I would say at this point, you do have outside shooters. But you, you definitely need more help than just Ashland Brown. And for Northern Illinois, you need more help than just Shelby Coker because as good as these players are, you 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 can't just have one person carrying your entire team. Yeah, for sure. And uh, Northern Illinois, you know, we we've talked about them here a little bit over the last few weeks. They've they've really uh, turned it on since the you know since the middle of January. They've now won. Uh, they're on their second four game winning streak. They've they've won eight of nine now, uh, dating back their last uh, loss to they lost to Toledo a couple weeks ago and they lost to Michigan State in the non conference before that. So. The Huskies really playing well right now. And for Ball State, not all hope is lost. You're seven and six. You're sitting in eighth in the conference right now, but you're only uh, a game and a half back of second place and two games. I'm sorry. Yeah, a game and a half back of, of second place here. So, um, you know, certainly uh, we string together a couple of victories here for the Cardinals and, and they can certainly climb up the standings a little bit. We've talked a lot about how much parity there is and how much, you know, there's such little separation from those teams in the middle of the conference that, you know, the Cardinals still have some opportunities left. Sam, let's uh, move into our, our performances of the week here. Uh, we'll start on the men's side. Uh, who, what was kind of the standout performance for you this week? I'm going to my Ball State Cardinals for the first time this year. And I'm going with Jerron Coleman. Like I said, entire offense, when he's not there, the offense just looks uh, out of sorts. 19.9 win in a must-needed huge win against Toledo. Only uh, Toledo is one of uh, three, I think, losses they have on the team. He, he, everything for this Ball State offense, they, they, they struggled without him the rest of the season while he was coming back from that injury. And hopefully he can uh, continue to um, stay on the floor for uh, Ball State success moving forward. 
Yeah, he 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 strikes me as one of those guys that, you know, he he might not be like the most eye popping um, athletically. He might not be the first guy that you notice when you watch Ball State play. But there's a notable noticeable difference in, especially on offense, on the flow of their offense. Whenever he is on the floor, he does seem to make them offensively at least a, a much better, much more balanced team. And uh, I can see you can certainly see he was, if I'm not mistaken, he was the freshman of the year in the conference last year, right? He was, yes. Yeah. So you can certainly see why. I mean, he's he's talented. He's he's got a you know good size for a guard. He can get to the rim. Uh, certainly fun to watch, and certainly a, a fun performance uh, from him on Saturday uh, against the Rockets. I went with uh, my men's performance of the week this week. I went with Brian Trimble from Akron, who had a career night uh, in their rivalry win over Kent State this past Friday. Twenty six points from the field, which was a career high for him. Eight for 11 from the field overall, uh, seven for 10 from three-point land. Uh, shooting 40, just over 40% from three-point land uh, this year. That's good for eighth in the conference. Uh, he's certainly been a nice pickup for, for John Gross there in Akron and a nice compliment to Lauren Christian Jackson. This is a guy who spent his first two years um, at uh, St. John's out in New York City and uh, decided to transfer to be a little bit closer to home. Certainly, though, he's he's been a nice pickup for for the Zips. And, uh, you know, we talked about kind of their lack of depth. He's one of their two guys on the team who you always feel like can get you a bucket. Yeah, I think this season for Akron was always going to be a struggle knowing you lost a couple of key pieces on that roster from a season ago. So they need people like Brian Trimble, like Ali Ali, like we mentioned, a Seba, because as good as Lauren Christian Jackson, like we mentioned, Depth, depth is definitely what you need, such as Toledo, such as Ohio. You need these guys to step up that normally wouldn't because as good as Lauren Christian Jackson is, he, he just can't do it all. Yeah, you're, you're, I agree with you completely on that, Sam. Uh, let's look at the women's side here. What was, your, uh, what was the kind of standout performance of the week for you in women's? Um, last week, I went with uh, Katie Shumay, um, a brother of the Toledo Shumay. Um, this week, I went with her um, counterpart, Neela Blackford, 23 points, 15 points, 23 points for last three games for Katie. They're slowly getting their group back after their month absence or three-week absence for Kent State. And she's been one of those keys. She's been unstoppable three straight games of above 10 points and uh, two of the last three scoring 20-plus points. She's definitely key to be uh, stepping up. And to have two scores like they do with Katie Shumay and Neil Blackford is a good sign. Yeah, I agree with you there. And we talked about kind of the rust factor for them after not having played in a couple of weeks. And uh, Blackford, she seems to be – kind of the one that's kind of leading the way back now after they lost that first game against Ohio and, you know, taking some steps forward and uh, getting a couple of nice victories and obviously the nail biting loss to Bowling Green, but she's been the one throughout all of that that seems to be the most consistent and, and leading the way. So she'll definitely have to keep that up. If, if the golden flashes want to pick up a couple more wins here over the next few weeks uh, for my, uh, my uh, women's performance of the week this week, um, I went off, off the beaten path a little bit here, a team that we haven't talked about a ton, uh, which is Western Michigan. It's been a tough year uh, for the Broncos, it, both in men's and women's basketball. It's been a tough year. Uh, the women's team specifically, you know, you're looking at your two and 11 in the conference, three and 12 overall. However, I think there is some hope for the future here. If you're a Broncos fan because of Taylor Williams, the red shirt freshman, she's third on the team right now, at 12.8 points per game. And she leads the team with 9.9 .9 rebounds per game. So she's been productive as a freshman, in their, in their win over Akron the other night on Wednesday, 
30 points, 14 for 23 from the field, and 21 rebounds in this game. She almost out-rebounded Ball State's entire team, Sam. <laughs> and, uh, you know, to do that as a freshman, uh, that, you know, the 21 rebounds tied a program record for an individual in a game. So if I'm a Western Michigan fan, yeah, it's been a tough year on, on, on the hardwood. But when I see someone like Taylor Williams really producing as a freshman, it gives me hope that, you know, moving forward next year, the year after that, you know, the, a couple more wins might be coming our way. I agree. And we, we see a number of uh, kids scored double doubles, uh, scored 20 and 10. Uh, we see the Josh and Bali example, but 30 and 10, for an example, we, we, we see a few of them, not many. But then yeah. to have 30 and 20, not not as a senior, not as a junior, but in your second year in that program because that red shirt year, yeah. that, that's that's pretty incredible in any game, any feat. That's probably a game you're going to remember for the rest of your life because how, how much better could it be than to not only get 30 and 20, but then to get to get a win? Yeah, absolutely. So um, shout out to all four of those players, Brian Trimble, Taylor Williams, Jerron Coleman, and Neela Blackford. Uh, four great performances, four great weeks uh, from from them uh, this week. Uh, so, Sam, let's uh, to close out the show here. Let's let's talk a little bit about the week ahead. Um, you know, there's there's some games obviously right now that have still that are that are being postponed and rescheduled and stuff like that. But as far as the slates that are on the schedule right now that are that are still being played, um, what are what are some games you're looking forward to this week? Let's start on the men's side. Um, the one the one game I'm looking over on that men's side is really BG. I I want to say Toledo, but I'm more looking towards that Bowling Green out in Ball State because I I, I think Bowling Green's not going to be able to figure out against Toledo. But to avenge that loss that they had against Ball State over a month ago where they just got humiliated on their home floor, it's a must-win game for not only to, to stay relevant in the conference situation, but just, just to re, regain your sanity as a Bowling Green fan, really. They just haven't looked good. We've talked about it nonstop for the past few weeks. They need a game to get right, and that game against Ball State is a game to get right if you're a Bowling Green fan. Yeah, I hear you there. I think both of these games for Bowling Green this week, I'm, I'm going to be keeping my eye on. At a certain point, it's like, you know, you wonder at one point, will just their sense of pride kick in, right? They've played some really bad games over the last few weeks. And you wonder if maybe, you know, the extra motivation of going to Toledo and playing your rival after they beat you on your home floor, maybe that can be the catalyst that turns them around. I I tend to agree with you. I don't see them winning that game, but I don't know. Maybe they also still have a sour taste in their mouth from that last game against Ball State. So I agree. Two good picks there. I'm also looking forward to see Akron play at Miami tomorrow night. Um, you know, we've kind of we talked earlier, Sam, about how the Red Hawks have kind of fallen off here over the last few weeks versus, you know, Akron, who's playing as well as anybody in the conference right now. So it seems almost like two teams going in different directions. I'm curious, I'm, I'm, you know, Lauren Christian Jackson versus Day Day Grant, two very good guards. Um, curious to see them or excited to see them go against each other. But I really want to see how Miami responds here after a couple shaky performances. Yeah, I, and more more importantly, I want to see if their uh, not only if their defense could be in order, but especially their offense. See if they can they can get back to what they were doing just a few weeks ago. Because I think this Miami offense has the potential to do stuff, but these past few games have just been a struggle. Yeah, you're certainly right about that. What about on the women's side here, Sam? We got some good games coming up this week uh, between you know some of those teams at the top of the standings. 
I'm going to go with uh, the middle game Saturday, 2 o'clock. I'm going to go with Buffalo at Northern Illinois. I think this is a team similar to that Northern Illinois Ball State matchup where they have one player, and that's Daisha Fair going against Shelby Coker. So I'm excited to see that kind of firework matchup between the, 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 the two scoring machines. Yeah, I agree with you. I think that'll be a really good one. Um, Northern Illinois has been playing as good as anybody in the conference. And then, you know, we've talked a lot about the Asha Fair uh, on this podcast already. She's at an individual level all year has been playing just as well, if not better than anybody else in the conference. Um, I'm going on the women's side here this week. I, I'm going to be paying attention to both uh, Central Michigan games. They got two big games this week. You got Kent coming in to Mount Pleasant on Saturday at one o'clock, and then you follow that up with a trip down to Bowling Green on Wednesday at seven. Central Michigan is a team uh, that was picked at the top of the conference in the preseason polls. They're currently sitting at fifth. They're ten and four in the conference. They're fifth. They're fifth overall, but only one game back of Bowling Green in first. So if they want to make a move and get back up to that top spot. This is going to be a really big week for them, especially that game going to Bowling Green uh, on Wednesday night. Obviously, Kent's right, you know, ahead of them too at, at sitting at six and two. So I'm really curious to see how the Chippewas respond this week. If they can get two victories here and go into next week sitting at 12 and four, uh, I'd like to think that they'll probably be at the top of the conference, depending on how some other things, um, you know, kind of other things fall. And as it stands right now, they've they've won five of six, so they seem like they're starting to peak at the right time. Yeah, yeah, that Central Michigan game against uh, Bowling Green game is going to be big. We we mentioned Bowling Green earlier, just get, just being hot at the right time. If Central Michigan can only get a game against Kent State, but especially this Bowling Green team, that'll be huge not only for um, the standings, but for their confidence really, because uh, they're they're sitting in the middle of the pack right now, and that that win could could vault you a, a couple places. Yeah, you're right about that, Sam. You're right about that. So certainly some good stuff on the hardwood in the week ahead here in the MAC. Uh, it's been a great season so far, coming down to the home stretch. Got a couple weeks left before the conference tournament. So we'll continue to update you guys on on how the, the standings look and the you know, potential matchups for the conference tournament. Uh, I think that's going to about wrap it up for us here today. Sam, any final thoughts? Any uh, Anything good for the good of the people? Uh, I don't think that I think that about wraps it up. I, I don't think there's anything to add. Good stuff. Well, as always, folks, thank you for stopping by and listening this week. We appreciate the support um, for Sam Thillman. I am Zach Folador. This has been another episode of the Mid-American Bandwagon Podcast. We'll talk to you guys next week.